Do you like waiting? Do you like waiting for others? How many of us, when asked, how is your day, or how was your day, would say you've had a great and fabulous day because you've been waiting? Waiting is not an activity we would consider fun or a cause of a good day, a source of joy or a source of strength. Just imagine and think through waiting in the airport, waiting on the phone as you try to speak to a doctor, or waiting as you try to get through customer service, waiting in the long lines of amusement parks, waiting, waiting, and waiting. Waiting is such a big part of our lives, isn't it? And yet, most of us don't like it. Most of the waiting in our lives we dread. So much of our consumeristic society runs on the assumption that if we can reduce the waiting time, somehow the customers will be happier. Uh, this week, I stumbled over the fact that there is an entire field of research that is devoted to studying the patterns and the impact of waiting. And some of this research is actually putting the spotlight on the positive benefits we get from the act of waiting. And you may wonder, what are some positive benefits of waiting? For those of you who might be in construction and like pouring concrete, you know what happens when you pour concrete and you don't wait for it to dry? You step on it, moving on to the next steps while the concrete is still wet. Those of you who are in, in companies writing software and you are about to release a product, your company is releasing the product, and what happens when you release that product without waiting to make sure you do your due diligence and the product is ready for release? You don't wait and you release a premature, uncooked, unready product. It does not do good to the company, does it? There are positive reasons and there are positive effects of waiting. And yet our hearts and our minds, when we think of the category of waiting, the first thing that comes to mind are not positive effects but negative effects. Psalm 130 will encourage us to develop an instinct we often don't value and don't find positive. And that is... To wait. To wait on the Lord. And this is a good kind of waiting. It the psalm challenges us to wait on the Lord and why we should wait on the Lord. Yes, waiting may not be fun. But there are positive benefits of waiting when that waiting is directed on the right object. And Psalm 130 will direct our hearts and our attention to the God who is worth waiting for. Would you open God's word to Psalm 130? This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Amen.
This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you join me in praying and asking God to bless the preaching of this word and the hearing of it? Let's pray and ask the Lord. Father, we want to wait on you and for you, even in the moment and the experience of this preaching. Father, I need your help, and we need your help. I need your help to proclaim this word, and we need your help to hear it. So would you speak to our hearts? Would you help our hearts to grow in this virtue of waiting on you and waiting for you? We pray this in the name of Jesus for his glory and honor and for our benefit through the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. The God worth waiting for. This psalm starts with the crying of the psalmist and ends with the hope of God's people. This psalm starts with someone who has cried for mercy and is is now ending on encouraging the people of God to put their hope in God. What an interesting way to start and end this journey from crying to hoping. That's what the psalm is. It's a journey that helps us understand how do you get from someone who is crying to a people who are hoping. How how does that happen? And the key to this change is waiting on God. The key that, that the psalm is helping us see this journey from crying to hoping, that journey takes us through the landscape called waiting for God. Why is God worth waiting for? And how do we do that? That's, the, that's what the psalm is trying to convince you and I this morning. That the God that we worship is a God worth waiting for. And there are four moves, there are four stanzas, four parts in the psalm, and they take us on this journey from the cry of the psalmist to the hope of the people of God. Why is God worth waiting for? Uh, Because God can rescue from inescapable depths. That's point number one. We'll see point number two, because God, because with God there is forgiveness Point number three, because God's word is trustworthy. And point number four, because with God there's love and redemption. Because with God there's love and redemption. If you have not picked all four um, of these points, uh, don't worry, we'll repeat them again as we work through this message. Point number one, why is God worth waiting for? Because God can rescue from inescapable depths. Uh, This encouragement to wait on God is not given for, for, uh, from someone or by someone who, who has had an easy life. It's not given by someone who is just experiencing just a, a lavish and, and wonderful life experience. And he's telling you, oh, let me tell you about how good God is for me and to me. Let me tell you about all the good things that are going on in my life right now. No, it's, uh, it's quite the opposite. The psalm is encouraging us to wait on the Lord. And this encouragement comes from the mouth of someone who is crying. Now it's unclear what were the depths that the psalmist experienced. What is clear is that the depths are in the plural. The troubles are in the plural. There are many. It's not just one trouble. It's many. The trials that this psalmist is experiencing at this moment are multiplied. Now this man is in the pit, is far from safety, far from hope, far from being able to help himself. That's why he's crying. That's why he's crying. He's not a whiner. He's crying because no one, he he cannot help himself anymore. And he knows that he needs to cry out to someone else for help. He knows he's in trouble, so he's crying. 
But the most important part of his response is not that he is crying or that he is um, helpless. The most important part about his crying, about his situation, is who he is crying to. He's crying to the Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. The psalmist knew that it is worthy crying to God, even from the depths. No matter how deep his troubles were, they were not beyond God's ability to reach and react and respond. And this is important for, for us to realize about the conviction that the psalmist has. He knows that no matter how deep his depths are, God is worth crying out to. When people can't help anymore, when we cannot help ourselves anymore, God can still help. The depths are not too deep for God to work through and work in. It's the one crying that teaches us to wait on God. Does that surprise you? That the one who is crying is the one who also in the psalm is actually going to teach us to wait on the Lord and hope for him. Oh, friends, don't let that little detail pass by you. This is not simply a lesson from a textbook. This is not simply a lesson from someone who has had it easy. This is a lesson from someone who has had it hard. And notice what the psalmist is asking for when he's crying to the Lord. He says in verse 2, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. The psalmist asks not for what he deserves. The psalmist asks not for what he expects or thinks that rightly belongs to him. There's no sense of entitlements in this prayer, in these pleas. There's no demands. Only pleas for mercy. There's no attitude of, I can't believe you've let me down. There's no sense here of, God, why have you done this to me? Now, there's other places in the scriptures where the question why is very legitimately brought out. But it's not in this psalm. The psalmist is not saying, Lord, why have you let me into my depths? There's none of that. There's simply the cry for mercy. Friends, it takes humility for us to ask, not in a demanding way, to ask of the Lord, to cry out to him. And if we call out to the Lord, we must call out to him for mercy because he does not owe us anything. I wonder, my dear friend, what are some depths that you have been crying out to God from? Perhaps some of you this morning are in some depths that you are you're crying out to the Lord. Perhaps you're seeing some depths that you feel are too difficult to even cry out to, for help for. And you're, you're not even having the courage or the strength you even cry out. Friends, if you are in depths that you feel are too difficult to cry out for help, let the psalm encourage you. Let the psalm marinate your soul and encourage you to cry out to the Lord for mercy. Perhaps thinking about the people of Maui, this weekend, I bet there are quite a few of them who feel like the depths that they're in are too inescapable. Singing through the almost 100 pe people who have lost their lives already, many more are in danger. There are situations and circumstances in our lives when it feels like there's no way of escaping. And friends, the psalm is encouraging us to cry out to the Lord even when we feel that there's no way of escaping. And this is how the psalmist starts, with a man in a pit, in the depths of trouble, crying for pleas, for mercy, and he directs his cry to God because he's convinced 
that God can hear him, that God can rescue him. I love the words of the, of the hymn that we sing often here, what a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Do you cry out to God from your depths? A second reason why we should wait for God, why He's worthy to wait for, not only is it because he is able to rescue from inescapable depths. But also a second reason is because there is forgiveness with God so that we may fear Him. There is forgiveness with God so we may fear Him. Look at verse 3 and 4. Even in the depths, even while crying, this psalmist remembers several great truths about God. His holy justice, His forgiveness, and the right fearing of God. Look at verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. Now here's the amazing surprise at this moment in the psalm. That the psalmist who is crying out to God out of the depths, out of his crisis, out of the trouble that he is in, in verse 3, his mind is going to his sin. His mind is going to the reality that if the God he called out to for help, that if this God were to count his sins, no one could stand. The psalmist sees that his biggest problem is actually his sin. Who could stand if God should mark iniquities? If God acted with his perfect justice, no human being could stand before God. This is a depth of sin. This is the clue that perhaps the depth that the psalmist finds himself in, in this psalm, is actually not a physical crisis. But perhaps it's the crisis of knowing the guilt and the debt that one cannot pay back to get out of before the throne of God. The, the guilt of sin, the debt of sin that we cannot escape from on our own. Perhaps this is what the psalmist is talking about. That he is a sinner rightly deserving God's displeasure. And he looks at himself and he realizes, I cannot help myself out of this sin. I cannot cleanse myself. I, no matter what I do before God, I could not get myself out of this sin. Sometimes people call on God to rescue them from some physical difficulties, from physical crises. But never consider that the bigger human problem is a problem of our own sin. But pointing to God's holy justice is only the first part that the psalmist declares about God here. The psalmist recognizes that his deepest problem is his own sin. And if, if all we have about God is his justice, his holy justice, we are in deep, deep, deep trouble. But the psalmist points out to us another facet of, about who God is. And that is that with God... There is forgiveness. God is not only perfectly just, but He also designed a path to extend forgiveness to people like you and me. Verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Oh, friends, this is the amazing part that, that the psalmist is declaring about God. This is why he is worth waiting for, because in God and with Him there is a path of forgiveness. The purpose of the, this forgiveness is not merely that our sins may be forgiven, but notice what the verse says, the purpose of this forgiveness is that God may be rightly feared again. 
The picture here is that God may be revered, that he may be rightly related to. Instead of despair, the despair that marks us in the pit of our depths, instead of the cries that come with being in the depths of our crises, the goal of experiencing God's forgiveness here is so that you and I may fear him rightly again. We can only fear God rightly when our sin is dealt with and forgiven. We can only fear God rightly when our sin is dealt with and forgiven. The word for fearing God can also be translated as being in awe of God, being astonished of God. It means recognizing that God is the highest authority and we must relate to him properly under his reign. Well, friends, no matter what the depths of the troubles of our lives are, there is a God we can call out to, and when we are astonished by Him, it has an impact on the way we deal with our crises, with our depths. But as we call out to God, we must realize that we are calling out to a perfectly just and holy God. His nearness to sinners is not a good news if all he has for us is his perfect justice. So calling out to God from our troubles, calling out that God would be near us in our earthly crises, that God would show up in our earthly crises while our sins are not dealt with is not good news. It's bad news. That's why when we are in physical crises and are calling out to God to help us, we should consider not merely an escape from our physical troubles. What actually we must consider is how do we escape from the depths of our sin and from the guilt and from the debt that we have incurred. Because wanting God to be near to our physical crises while there's still sin undealt with between us and God is a, worth, a worse problem to have. And yet so often, we only like to call out on God to rescue us from our physical crises. But the psalmist is telling us what we must actually look to God for above all things is that he will deal with our sins in a merciful way. And when we come to the Lord, we can know and have this confidence. With him, there is forgiveness so that we may, we may revere him, fear him rightly. Friends, sometimes we call out on God to help us. But first and foremost, we must remember that our sin must be dealt with. Sometimes God gets our attention when he lets us down into the pit and depths of troubles and despairs. And it's only in those circumstances that God finally gets our attention. It's interesting that when we are in the pit, in the depths of despair, that's when we actually call out to God and ask for him to be attentive to us. And all the while, God has been saying, listen, I've actually been trying to get you to be attentive to me. If you're trying to get God to be attentive to you, that's a good sign. God has been working on you to get your attention on him. But our biggest trials and problems are not the depths of our earthly circumstances, but our biggest depth. Our biggest trials and problems are our very iniquities. This is why when people brought a paralytic man to Jesus to heal him, you remember the day when, when four friends brought a man to Jesus, broke through the roof because the crowds were so many around Jesus. They broke through the roof, brought Jesus down, brought the, the paralytic man to, the, to Jesus. And Jesus, the first thing he does is to proclaim that this, the sins of this man are forgiven. And if, if, I'm, if I'm the man, or if I'm the friends of the man, I said, Jesus, I mean, that's nice. Uh, thank you for doing that. 
But what we're really after here is that you would heal this man's physical body. And yet Jesus doesn't go for that right away. Because he wants to teach a lesson that before our physical crises are solved, our biggest crisis that we need to solve is our sin. Friends, I don't know what are the depths you might be facing. The hurts and the pains that you are enduring may be very difficult. But consider the fact that no matter how difficult our physical or earthly crises might be, the biggest crisis we must face and deal with is the crisis of our sin. The darkness and hopelessness of, of battling our sin, the, the, the crisis and hopelessness of, of recognizing that we are in bondage to sin. All these, all this is at the source of all the other troubles that we have in the world. All the manifestations and the effects of the brokenness of, that we see around us is, are simply the effects of the curse of sin. The deep root of all the brokenness that we see around us is sin. And Jesus, God, came to provide a way, a rescue out of that. Spurgeon said once, none fear the Lord like those who have experienced his forgiving love. None fear the Lord like those who have experienced his forgiving love. When you and I come to experience the forgiveness of God through his son, Jesus Christ, we begin having an astonishment, a beauty, a, a reverence for God, and, and we need the reminder of that reverence in all that we experience in life. God is worth waiting for because he is a God who is able to forgive us. With him there is forgiveness so that we may fear him. There's a third reason why God is worth waiting for, and we see that in verses 5 through 6. Because God's word can be relied on. Because God's word can be relied on. Only those who fear the Lord have the courage and the strength to wait for him. Only those who fear the Lord have the courage and the strength to wait for him. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. Well, friends, this, word, this verse deserves to be memorized. Write it up on a piece of paper. Put it on in your room. Put it somewhere we can be reminded of him, of this verse. But it's, it, it's a verse that we should keep regularly in front of our eyes. This is not the waiting that wastes time. This is not the waiting that we dread. This is not the waiting that we feel is worthless. This waiting is the essence. This waiting is a clue. This, this waiting is what makes a difference from, and, and, the, and the change from crying to hoping. It's this waiting that fuels our reliance on the Lord. If our hoping God is real, then our waiting on the Lord will also happen. The waiting that rescues, the waiting that redeems, the waiting that restores the waiting that heals. It's not that the waiting does all these, but the God we are waiting for will bring all these experiences to us in due time. Now, it's true that what makes our waiting hard is that we often want to see the results of God's rescue operation be executed all at once and to be done yesterday, if possible. Someone said, waiting is the activity that happens between promise made and fulfillment accomplished. Waiting is the activity between the promise made and the fulfillment accomplished. And it may be hard to wait when the promise has been given and the fulfillment is still a future reality. It's hard to wait for the fulfillment of all that God had promised. But just think how frustrating it has been for us just here in the life of this church in waiting for our downstairs remodel to get underway. Two and a half years after the freezing temperatures two and a half years ago, we're still working on fixing the downstairs. And finally, it's like we're so close to being done. 
But two and a half years of waiting, it's been frustrating. And yet, this is not even about your house. You just come here once, once a week. Others of you know what, how frustrating it is to wait for things to be restored on, in your home, in your house, physically perhaps, or worse, in your home when it comes to, physical, to the relationships that you have with one another. You know how difficult and hard it is to wait for that restoration to happen. But friends, here we see the psalmist speaking about waiting positively on the Lord because waiting on the Lord is worth it here. Why? Why is it worth waiting? Here, first of all, because God's word is trustworthy. Look at verse 5. And in his word I hope. This is why waiting on the Lord is not wasted time. It's an active waiting. It's an active activity. It's a waiting that actually engages us in hoping. I'm waiting on the Lord because I hope in his word. One Bible teacher put it beautifully. To wait for the Lord means I put my hope in his word. If he is to become real to me, it will be as he speaks to me and makes himself known. Friends, is your waiting for God filled with hope in God's word? Have you considered that getting your nose in the Bible as you wait can actually fuel your waiting with strength to wait? Waiting may not be a fun time. But waiting is a stage in which your hope is shown for what it is, real or fake. Waiting may not be fun, but waiting is a, is a time when actually your hope on the word of the Lord is put on display. And the more you actually get your attention, your eyes on this word and hope in him, the better your waiting can be. This is not the waiting of just moving your fingers around, doing nothing. This is the waiting that is engaging us in hoping. Hoping that what God said in His Word is true. Oh friends, Take time not only to open God's Word to read it, but also to meditate on it so that as you rely on God's Word, your waiting will be strengthened and active. But notice also that this waiting is not only centered on, on God's Word, on hoping on God's Word, it's also an intense waiting. It's an intense waiting. Look at verse 6. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. The imagery is a key illustration here describing the waiting. It's a waiting that is confident. It's a waiting that is expectant. It's a waiting that is intense. The watchman who carries out his security duties during the night shift knows that the morning is coming. No nighttime security guard is doing his security duties, keeping vigilant over his responsibilities, not being sure whether or not the morning will come. No security guard will somehow think, wow, this is gonna, I'm going to be here for an eternity. Now, he may feel like that sometimes when he's super tired, but he knows the morning is coming. There is no doubt in that watchman's waiting for the morning that the morning is coming. So the waiting is confident. It's also expectant. It's, the, the watchman is not doing his duties and saying, I hope this night never goes away. I hope I can sit here and just keep doing this forever and ever. No, the watchman knows that the whole point of, of watching through the night is I'm looking forward for the morning because I get home. I get to go home and rest. It's an expectant 
waiting. It's confident and it's expectant. But the other characteristic about this imagery is it's intense. It's intense. The watchman wishes that the morning would come. The watchman wishes that morning would come and would be right away. At 7 o'clock or 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 6.30 comes, whenever the shift is over, that the morning comes and he gets to go home. But the reality is, mm -mm, it's still night. He's still waiting. It's waiting time. And that's intense. And the psalmist is not saying, I am waiting for the Lord like the watchman for the morning. That's not what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, I'm waiting for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. And it's the more that puts the, the, the spotlight on the intensity of the psalmist waiting for the Lord. He says, compare me with watchmen who are waiting for the morning shift to arrive. I'm waiting for the Lord way more than that. That's the intensity of the waiting. But in this intense feeling of the waiting, that means that the waiting is hard. That the waiting is unpleasant. And that's the reality of the psalm. It's not sugarcoating the waiting. It's real. It's hard. It's intense. But child of God, the morning is coming. Be confident. The morning is coming. Be expectant. The morning is coming. You have a Lord to wait on. And wait on Him more than the watchman. For some of us, our waiting on the Lord to act has had a negative effect. Let's be honest. The effect of waiting on the Lord sometimes gets you way more tired. It's hard to wait on the Lord when the Lord's timeline is different than ours. So we get, we get tired, we get discouraged, and we want to give up. If you feel that way, you are in good company with the patriarchs. Do you remember Abraham? Do you remember when, when God promised Abraham that God will give him an heir through Sarah? And 25 years pass, and Abraham kept waiting. Kept waiting. And he got tired of it. And it was Sarah who came up with the idea of a solution that Abraham should have an offspring through Sarah's servant. I want us to be realistic about the fact that waiting on the Lord is lured with temptations. It's lured with, a, with solutions that may short-circuit the waiting and ask God or figure out some ways that the goodies might be delivered before God's timeline. Friends, in times of waiting, we can grow impatient. Impatient with the waiting can drive us to stop relying on the Lord and instead to rely on ourselves. This is why it's so important that our waiting must be fueled by constantly relying on the word of the Lord, on hoping on what he said so that we would not change God's promises. Otherwise, we would be lured away from the Lord. So let me ask you, are you letting your waiting on the Lord be fueled by actively relying on the word of God? Or are you just waiting around, putting aside the Word of God? It's when we forget what God said, when we forget what He promised, that we will grow impatient with the Lord. So, why is God worth waiting for? Because His Word is trustworthy. Let the Word of God fuel you with hope so you may have energy to keep waiting for the Lord. And let the time of waiting be a, the stage in which your hope on the Lord is put on display. Is it easy? No, it's not. It's intense, but it's worth it. The waiting is confident and expecting that God will bring about his deliverance. And finally, the last word, the last reason why 
the waiting on the Lord is worth it is because there is love and redemption with the Lord. Because with the Lord, with God, there is love and redemption. And we see that in verses 7 and 8. The psalmist closes on this encouragement and exhortation that the people of God would hope in God. Look at the tone. He's moving from speaking about himself, what he has done all the, all up to this moment in the psalm. He's now moving to the crowd. He's moving to the people of God. And he's saying, oh Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him there is plentiful redemption. The surprising part in this verse is that the Hebrew word for hope, that the psalmist says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, the Hebrew word for hope can actually be translated as waiting on. It's the same word. It's, they're different words that refer to the same reality or the same concept. So the psalmist is in essence saying, O Israel, wait on the Lord. Hope in him. Because the waiting and the hoping in, in the psalm is actually going hand in hand. They're two sides of the same coin. But why? Why should you, Israel, why should the people of God wait on the Lord? Why? What are the reasons? Well, he's been already giving us three reasons. But here in, in verse 7 and 8, we get more reasons, more characteristics of who God is. And we see his love and redemption. For with the Lord... Their steadfast love. The Hebrew is the, the, the word that, that means more than just sentimentality or feelings. It's the, it's the Hebrew hesed, which is a covenant love. The love that binds. The love that is loyal. The love that remains. The love that is unmovable. That's what... That's what God has. Why should you and I hope and wait on the Lord? Because love, the love of God, the love by which God entered into a covenant with us, that love is with him permanently. And if that's not enough, with him there's also plentiful redemption. This is not merely a the picture of a rescue that is barely a rescue plan. This is not merely the rescue that barely makes it. Oh no, it's plentiful. In other words, God is generous and powerful to bring about a redemption that is abundant, that is full, that is to the brim. And then the psalm ends on this beautiful confirmation, verse 8. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. If there's any doubt what the depths are in this psalm, if there's any doubt what the redemption is needed for in this psalm, verse 8 makes it super clear. As much as we want to and can and should call out to God in the midst of all our difficulties here on this earth, the, the rescue we need most desperately is the rescue from our iniquities. From our sin. What a hope and confidence to hear that there is no sin that the Lord cannot rescue from. How hopeful that is. There's no sin that the Lord cannot rescue from. What a hope and confidence in God's ability to restore. To know that no matter how deep our sin is. No matter how long our sin has been going on. No matter how devastating our sin is, he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Oh, friends, God showed us that he is able to rescue us from all sin. And he went to the uttermost extreme to show up by sending us his own son, Jesus. To let him be incarnate, to send him to become human, and after living a perfect life, sinless, Jesus would die crucified on a cross, suffering shame, mockery, being spit on, being whipped, being crucified. 
That's the extent God would go to make sure that all the sins of his people would be paid for in full. Not one of them would be left unpaid for. Not one of them would be left on the shelf and God would say, you know what, for that one, I'll let you pay for it. All in full. That's why all those who repent and trust in Christ have this amazing confidence that our sins, past, present, or future, are paid for by the Son of God in full. But this good news is only for those who would repent and trust in Christ. What good news this is. And my friend, if you have not yet trusted in Jesus for your salvation, hear this news today. Hear this call today. Turn to him. Call on the Lord to save you. Wait on him. Rely on him. He alone is able to save you. If you'd like to know more about what this salvation call is, if you're a Christian, to become a Christian, we would love to talk to you when the service is dismissed. But this call of, of recognizing that we must depend on the Lord for rescue from our sin is not only good news for those who are not saved. It's also good news for those who are saved. For those of us who continue to struggle with the battle of sin. I heard recently the story of, uh, of two of my favorite pre preachers, uh, Ligon Duncan and John Piper. Ligon Duncan shared the story of how he was talking to John Piper one day. And uh, Ligon was sharing with John Piper about um, their confidence in their faith in the Lord. Their confidence in the Lord. And John Piper said to Pastor Ligon Duncan, you know, I've never been bothered about the truthfulness of Christianity because of the critics, uh, because of the accusations of the critics against the Bible. I've never been bothered about the truthfulness of Christianity because of the critics' accusations against the Bible. And Pastor Duncan was surprised. He said, he thought to himself, well, that is remarkable. That's a remarkable statement. Here's a man who did a PhD in New Testament, referring to John Piper, who had been acquainted with all the critical assaults on the Bible. And he's telling me that not once he has ever been bothered by the critical assaults on the Bible. And, and, and Pastor Duncan just found that astonishing. But then he says, but John Pastor John Piper went on saying, but you know what does give me doubts? My own lack of progress in sanctification. And Pastor Duncan remarked, isn't this amazing for John Piper to say that it was his own sin that has caused him the most doubts in his Christian life? Friends, I wonder if your own battle with sin continue to fuel doubts in you as you walk with the Lord. Recognize that the promises that this psalm gives us are great news, not only for non-believers who need to turn to Christ for salvation, but this psalm is great news for every child of God who continues to battle with sin and who continues to fight sin and, and oftentimes, more often than we would like to, we lose in that battle. Pastor Duncan said, the deepest trouble and problem our souls will ever face is our own sin. Yes, that's so true. And the sooner we realize that the battle with sin continues on and no matter how fierce it is, we have a God we have a God who is able to rescue us from every sin. Oh, friends, it is our rebellion against God that has brought us into the mess we are as a humanity. It's our sin that has distanced us from God. It is the great depths of our sin that often cause us the depths 
of crises that we are in. I love what St. Augustine prayed. One of his prayers said, Lord, save me from myself. Save me from myself, O Lord. I'm my worst, my own worst enemy. Friends, when you are in the depths of despair and don't know where to turn, especially as you are reminded, you and I are reminded of our own sinfulness and failures, look to Psalm 130, because with the Lord, there's plentiful redemption. He will redeem his people from all their iniquities. Now, I know you and I generally don't like to wait. We've established that at the beginning of the sermon. But the reality is that in this life, we're all surrounded with experiences of waiting that we can just not get away from. Students can't wait to be done with school. And it hasn't even started yet. People can't wait to get their dream job, to make the money they hoped they made. People can't wait to get into that lifelong relationship. People can't wait to finish work and be retired and enjoy life. Have you noticed how our lives is marked so often by this sense of I can't wait for this to be over and get to the next thing? Friends, don't waste those waiting moments. You know why? Because they reveal what you hope in. What you wait for and what you can't wait for reveals what you are hoping in. And this psalm, of all the things you are faced to waiting for or waiting on, this psalm is seeking to direct our waiting on an object that will not disappoint you, that will not shame you, that will not leave you hanging and be ashamed. Why wait on God? Why is God worth waiting for? Because he can rescue from inescapable deaths. Because with God there's forgiveness. Because God's word is trustworthy. Because with God there's love and plentiful redemption. You cannot avoid experiencing moments of waiting in this life. The big question is, who are you choosing to wait for? Let's pray. Father, you are a big God. A God that we want to be astonished by in fresh and new ways every day. Father, we declare that you alone are worthy to be waiting for. So please work in our hearts through the message we have heard, through your word, through various experiences you allow us to, ex to have in our lives. Work through them in a way that draws our hearts to wait for you. And Father, if some of us this morning are in the depths, in the pit, in inescapable experiences, Father, cause our hearts to look to you, to cry out to you, to wait for you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.